Section one of The Adventures of a Dog and a Good Dog Too by Alfred Ells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Allison Hester. Early Days I was not born in this city of Caneville, but was brought here at so young an age that I have no recollection of any other place. I do not remember either my father or my mother. An old doggess, who was the only creature I can recall to mind when I was a pup, took care of me. At least she said she did, but from what I recollect, I had to take most care of myself. It was from her I learned what I know about my parents. She has told me that my father was a foreign dog of high rank, from a country many, many miles away, called Newfoundland, and that my mother was a member of the Mastiff family. But how I came to be under the care of herself, and how it happened, if my parents were such superior animals, that I should be forced to be so poor and dirty, I cannot tell. I have sometimes ventured to ask her, but as she always replied with a snarl or a bite, I soon got tired of putting any questions to her. I do not think she was a very good temper, but I should not like to say so positively, because I was still young when she died and perhaps the blows she gave me, and the bite she inflicted, were only intended for my good, though I did not think so at the time. As we were very poor, we were forced to live in a wretched kennel in the dampest part of the town, among dogs no better off than ourselves. The place we occupied overhung the water, and one day, when the old doggess was punishing me for something I had done, the corner in which I was crouched, being rotten, gave way, and I fell plump into the river. I had never been in the water before, and I was very frightened, for the stream was so rapid that it carried me off and past the kennels I knew in an instant. I opened my mouth to call out for help, but as I was almost choked with the water that got into it, I shut it again, and made an effort to reach the land. To my surprise, I found that, by moving my paws and legs, I not only got my head well above the water, but was able to guide myself to the bank, on to which I at length dragged myself, very tired and out of breath, but quite recovered from my fear. I ran over the grass towards the town as fast as I could, stopping now and then to shake my coat, which was not so wet, however, as you would suppose. But before I had got halfway home, I met the doggess, hopping along, with her tongue out of her mouth, panting for breath, she having run all the way from the kennel, out of which I had popped so suddenly, along the bank, with the hope of picking me up somewhere. She knew, she said, that I should never be drowned, but how she could know that was more than I could imagine. When we met, after I had escaped so great a danger, I flew to her paws, in the hope of getting a tender lick. But as soon as she recovered breath, she caught hold of one of my ears with her teeth, and bit it till I howled with pain, and then set off running with me at a pace which I found it difficult to keep up with. I remember at the time thinking it was not very kind of her, but I have since reflected that perhaps she only did it to brighten me up and prevent me from taking cold. This was my first adventure, and also my first acquaintance with the water. From that day I often ventured into the river, and in the end became so good a swimmer that there were few dogs in Caneville who could surpass me in strength and dexterity afloat. Many moons came and passed away, 
and I was getting a big dog. My appetite grew with my size, and as there was little to eat at home, I was forced to wander through the streets to look after stray bones. But I was not the only animal employed thus hunting for a livelihood, and the bits scattered about the streets being very few and small, some of us, as may be imagined, got scanty dinners. There was such quarreling and fighting, also, for the possession of every morsel, that if you were not willing to let go any piece you had seized upon, you were certain to have half a dozen curs upon your back to force you to do so. And the poor weakly dog, whose only hope of a meal lay in what he might pick up, ran a sad chance of being starved. One of the fiercest fights I have ever been engaged in occurred upon one of these occasions. I had had no breakfast, and it was already past the hour when the rich dogs of Caneville were used to dine. Hungry and disconsolate, I was trotting slowly past a large house when a side door opened and a servant jerked a piece of meat into the road. In the greatest joy I pounced upon the prize, but not so quickly but that two ragged curs, who were no doubt as hungry as myself, managed to rush to the spot in time to get hold of the other end of it. Then came a struggle for the dainty, and those who do not know how hard dogs will fight for their dinner when they have had no breakfast should have been there to learn the lesson. After giving and receiving many severe bites, the two dogs walked off. Perhaps they did not think the meat was worth the trouble of contending for any longer, and I was left to enjoy my meal in peace. I had scarcely, however, squatted down, with the morsel between my paws, than a miserable little puppy, who seemed as if he had had neither dinner nor breakfast for the last week, came and sat himself at a little distance from me, and, without saying a word, brushed the pebbles about with his ragged tail, licked his chops, and blinked his little eyes at me so hopefully that, hungry as I was, I could not begin my meat. As I looked at him, I observed two tears gather at the side of his nose and grow bigger and bigger until they would no longer stop there, but tumbled on to the ground. I could bear it no longer. I do not know even now what ailed me, but my own eyes grew so dim that there seemed a mist before them which prevented my seeing anything plainly. I started up, and pushing to the poor whelp the piece of meat which had cost me three new rents in my coat and a split ear, I trotted slowly away. I stopped at the corner to see whether he appeared to enjoy it, and partly to watch that no other dog should take it from him. The road was quite clear, and the poor pup quite lost in the unusual treat of a good meal, so I took my way homewards, with an empty stomach but a full heart, I was so pleased to see that little fellow enjoy his dinner so thoroughly. This sort of life, wherein one was compelled either to fight for every bit one could get to eat, or go without food altogether, became at last so tiresome to me that I set about for some other means of providing for my wants. I could not understand how the old doggess used to manage, but though she never had anything to give me, she did not seem to be without food herself. She was getting so much more cross and quarrelsome, perhaps on account of her age and infirmities, that I now saw but little of her, as I often, on a fine night, preferred curling myself up under a doorway or beneath a tree, to returning to the kennel and listening to her feeble growls. She never seemed to want me there, so I had less difficulty in keeping away from her. 
chance assisted me in the choice of my new attempt at getting a living i was walking along one of the narrow streets of caneville when i was stopped by an old dog who was known to be very rich and very miserly he had lately invented a novel kind of match for lighting pipes and cigars which he called a firefly the composition of which was so dangerous that it had already caused a good deal of damage in the town from its exploding and he wanted some active young dogs to dispose of his wares to the passers-by according to the custom of caneville as he expected a good deal of opposition from the vendors of a rival article it was necessary to make choice of such agents as would not be easily turned from their purpose for fear of an odd bite or two i suppose he thought i was well fitted for the object he had in view i was very poor one good reason for his employing me as i would be contented with little i was strong and should therefore be able to get through the work i was willing and bore a reputation for honesty all sufficient causes for old philly that was his name to stop me this fine morning and propose my entering his service terms are easily arranged where both parties are willing to come to an agreement after being regaled with a mouldy bone and dressed out in an old suit of clothes belonging to my new master which in spite of a great hole in one of the knees i was not a little proud of with a bundle of wares under my arm and a box of the famous fireflies in my paw i began my commercial career but alas either the good dogs of caneville were little disposed to speculate that day or i was very awkward in my occupation but no one seemed willing to make a trial of my fireflies in vain i used the most enticing words to set off my goods even going so far as to say that cigars lighted with these matches would have a very fine flavor and could not possibly go out this i said on the authority of my employer who assured me of the fact it was of no use not a single firefly blazed in consequence and i began to fear that i was not destined to make my fortune as a match seller at length there came sweeping down the street a party which at once attracted me and i resolved to use my best efforts to dispose at least of one of my boxes if it were only to convince my master that i had done my best the principal animal of the group was a lady doggess beautifully dressed with sufficient stuff in her gown to cover a dozen ordinary dogs a large muff to keep her paws from the cold and a very open bonnet with a garden full of flowers round her face which in spite of her rich clothes i did not think a very pretty one a little behind her was another doggess not quite so superbly dressed holding a puppy by the paw it was very certain that they were great animals for two or three dogs they had just passed had taken off their hats as they went by and then put their noses together as if they were saying something about them i drew near and for the first time in my life was timid and abashed the fine clothes no doubt had something to do with making me feel so but i was still very young taking courage I went on tiptoe to the great lady and begged her to buy a box of fireflies of a poor dog who had no other means of gaining his bread. Now, you must know that these matches had not a pleasant smell. Few matches have. But as they were shut up in the box, the odor could not have been very sensible. However, when I held up the article towards her ladyship, she put her paw to her nose, as though to shut out the odor, uttered a low howl, 
and though big enough and strong enough to have sent me head over heels with a single blow seemed on the point of falling to the ground but at the instant two male servants whom i had not seen ran to her assistance while i who was the innocent cause of all this commotion stood like a silly dog that i was with my box in the air and my mouth wide open wondering what it all meant i was not suffered to remain long in ignorance for the two hounds in livery turning to me so belaboured my poor back that i thought at first my bones were broken while the young puppy who it appears was her ladyship's youngest son running behind me while i was in this condition gave my tail such a pull as to cause me the greatest pain they then left me in the middle of the road to reflect on my ill success in trade and gather up my stock as best i could i do not know what it was which made me so anxious to learn the name and rank of the lady doggess who had been the cause of my severe punishment but i eagerly inquired of a kind mongrel who stopped to help me collect my scattered goods if he knew anything about her he said she was called lady bull that her husband sir john bull had made a large fortune somehow and that they lived in a splendid house had about thirty puppies little and big and had plenty of servants and spent a great deal of money he could hardly imagine he said that it was the odor of the fireflies which had occasioned me to be knocked down for upsetting her ladyship as she had been a butcher's daughter and was used to queer smells unless her nose had perhaps got more delicate with her change of position he said much more about her and her peculiarities than i either remember or care to repeat but imagining he had some private reasons for saying what he did i thanked him for his trouble and bid him good day whatever the cause of my failure it seemed that i was not fitted for the match business at all events the experience of that morning did not encourage me sufficiently to proceed so returning the unsold fireflies to old philly i made him a present of the time i had already spent in his service and with a thoughtful face and aching bones took my way towards the kennel by the waterside changes the sun was going down as i came in sight of the river and the row of poor kennels which stood on the bank many of them like our own projecting half over the water i could not help wondering at the pretty effect they made at a distance with the blue river dancing gaily by their side the large trees of the wood on the opposite bank waving in beauty and the brilliant sun changing everything that his rays fell upon into gold he made the poor kennels look so splendid for the time that no one would have thought the animals who lived in them could ever be poor or unhappy but when the rich light was gone gone with the sun which made it to some other land it seemed as if the whole place was changed the trees shivered as though a cold wind was stirring them the river ran dark and sullenly by the poor houses and the houses themselves looked more wretched i thought than they had ever appeared before yet somehow they were more homelike in their dismal state than when they had a golden roof and purple sides so resuming my walk for i had stopped to admire the pretty picture i soon came near the door it was open as usual but what was not usual was to hear other sounds from within than the voice of the old doggess making ceaseless moans 
now it seemed as if all the doggesses of the neighborhood had met in the poor hut to pass the evening for there was such confusion of tongues and such a rustling sound as told me before i peeped inside that there was a large party got together and that tails were wagging at a fearful rate when i stood before the open door all the scene broke upon me on her bed of straw evidently at the point of death lay my poor doggess her eyes had almost lost their fierce expression and were becoming fixed and glassy a slight tremor in her legs and movement of her stumpy tail were all that told she was yet living not even her breast was seen to heave i had not much reason to bear love to the old creature for any kindness she had ever shown me but this sight overcame me at once springing to her aid and upsetting half a dozen of the gossips by the movement i laid my paw on hers and involuntarily raising my head in the air i sent forth a howl which shook the rotten timbers of the old kennel and so frightened the assembled party as to make them scamper out of the place like mad things the sound even called back the departing senses of the dying doggess she drew me to her with her paws and made an effort to lick me the action quite melted me i put down my head to hers and felt a singular pleasure mixed with grief whilst i licked and caressed her i could not help thinking then as i have often thought since of how much happiness we had lost by not being more indulgent to each other's faults forgiving and loving one another she also seemed to be of this opinion if i might judge by the grateful look and passive manner in which she received my attentions perhaps the near approach of her end gave a softness to her nature which was unusual to her it is not unlikely but of a certainty i never felt before how much i was losing as when i saw that poor doggess's life thus ebbing away night had come on while i sat watching by her side everything about the single room had become more and more indistinct until all objects were alike blended in the darkness i could no longer distinguish the shape of my companion and but that i knew she was there i could have thought myself alone the wind had fallen the water seemed to run more gently than it was wont to do and the noises which generally make themselves heard in the streets of caneville appeared to be singularly quieted but once only at another period of my life which i shall speak of in its proper place do i ever remember to have been so struck by the silence and to have felt myself so entirely alone the moon appeared to rise quicker that night as though it pitied the poor forlorn dog it peeped over an opposite house and directly after shone coldly but kindly through the open door at least its light seemed to come like the visit of a friend in spite of its showing me what i feared that i was indeed alone in the world my poor doggess had died in the darkness between the setting of the sun and the moon's rise i was sure that she was dead yet i howled no more my grief was very great for it is a sad sad thing when you are young to find you are without friends perhaps sadder when you are old but that i fortunately do not myself know for i am old and have many friends i recollect putting my nose between my paws 
and lying at full length on the floor, waiting till the bright sun should come again, and thinking of my forlorn condition. I must have slept and dreamed, yet I thought I was still in the old kennel with the dead doggess by my side. But everything seemed to have found a voice, and to be saying kind things to me. The river, as it ran and shook the supports of the old kennel, appeared to cry out in a rough but gay tone, "'Job, Job, my dog, cheer up, cheer up! The world is before you, Job. Cheer up, cheer up!' The light wind that was coming by that way stopped to speak to me as it passed. It flew round the little room and whispered as it went, "'Poor dog, poor dog, you are very lonely, but the good need not be so. The good may have friends, dear Job, however poor.' The trees, as they waved their heads, sent kindly words across the water that made their way to my heart right through the chinks of the old cabin, and when morning broke, and a bright sky smiled beautifully upon the streets of Caneville, I woke up, sad indeed, but full of hope. Some ragged curs arrived, and carried the old doggess away. She was very heavy, and they were forced to use all their strength. I saw her cast into the water, which she disliked so much alive. I watched her floating form until the rapid current bore it into the wood, and I stayed sitting on the brink of the river, wondering where it would reach at last, and what sort of places must lie beyond the trees. I had an idea in my own mind that the sun rested there all night, only I could not imagine how it came up again in the morning in quite an opposite quarter but then i was such a young and ignorant puppy after thinking about this and a good many other matters of no importance to my story i got upon my legs and trotted gently along the bank towards a part of the city which i did not remember to have seen before the houses were very few but they were large and handsome and all had pretty gardens in nice order with flowers which smelled so sweet that I thought the dogs who could always enjoy such advantages must be very happy. But one of the houses, larger than all the rest, very much struck me, for I had never an idea of such a splendid place being in Caneville. It was upon a little hill that stood at some distance from the river, and the ground which sloped down from the house into the water was covered with such beautiful grass that it made one long to nibble and roll upon it. While I was quietly looking at this charming scene, I was startled by a loud noise of barking and howling higher up the river, and a confused sound, as if a great many dogs were assembled at one place, all calling out together. I ran at once in the direction of the hubbub, partly out of curiosity, and in part from some other motive, perhaps the notion of being able to render some help. A little before me, the river had a sudden bend, and the bank rose high, which prevented me seeing the cause of the noise. But when I reached the top, the whole scene was before me. On my side of the river, a great crowd had assembled, who were looking intently upon something in the water. And on the opposite bank, there was a complete stream of dogs, running down to the hill which belonged to the beautiful house I had been admiring. Every dog, as he ran, seemed to be trying to make as much noise as he could, 
and those I spoke to were barking so loudly and jumping about in such a way that I could at first get no explanation of what was the matter. At last I saw that the struggling object in the water was a young puppy, which seemed very nicely dressed, and at the same moment the mongrel, who had helped me to pick up my matches the day before, came alongside of me and said, "'Ah, young firefly, how are you? Isn't this a game? That old lady bull who got you such a drubbing yesterday is in a pretty mess. Her thirty-second pup has just tumbled into the water and will certainly be drowned. Isn't she making a fuss? Just look!' One rapid glance showed me the grand lady he spoke of, howling most fearfully on the other side of the stream, while two pups, about the same size as the one in the water, and a stout dog, who looked like the papa, were sometimes catching hold of her, and then running about, not knowing what to do. I stopped no longer. I threw off my overcoat, and running to a higher part of the bank, leaped into the water, the mongrel's voice calling after me, "'What are you going to do?' "'Don't you know it's the son of the old doggess who had you beat so soundly? "'Look at your shoulder where the hair has been knocked off with the blows.' "'Without paying the least attention to these words, "'which I could not help hearing since they were called out so loudly, "'I used all my strength to reach the poor little pup, "'who, tired with his efforts to help himself, "'had already floated onto his back, "'while his tiny legs and paws were moving feebly in the air.' I reached him after a few more efforts, and seizing his clothes with my teeth, I got his head above the water, and swam with my load slowly towards the bank. As I got nearer, I could see Lady Bull, still superbly dressed, but without her bonnet, throw up her paws and nose toward the sky, and fall back into the arms of her husband, while the two pups by her side expressed their feelings in different ways for one stuffed his little fists into his eyes, and the other waved his cap in the air, and broke forth into a succession of infantile bow-wows. On reaching the bank, I placed my load at the feet of his poor mother, who threw herself by his side and hugged him to her breast, in a way which proved how much tenderness was under those fine clothes and affected manners. The others stood around her, uttering low moans of sympathy and I, seeing all so engaged and taken up with the recovered dog, quietly, and as I thought, unseen by all, slid back into the water and permitted myself to be carried by the current down the river. I crawled out at some short distance from the spot where this scene had taken place, and threw myself onto the grass, in order to rest from my fatigue and allow the warm sun to dry my saturated clothes. What I felt I can scarce describe, although I remember so distinctly everything connected with that morning. My principal sensation was that of savage joy to think I had saved the son of the doggess who had caused me such unkind treatment. I was cruel enough, I am sorry to say, to figure to myself her pain at receiving such a favor from me. But that idea soon passed away, on reflecting that perhaps she would not even know to whom she owed her son's escape from death. In the midst of my ruminations, a light step behind me caused me to raise my head. I was positively startled at the beautiful object which I beheld. It was a lady puppy, about my own age, but so small in size, and with such an innocent sweet look, that she seemed much younger. Her dress was of the richest kind, 
and her bonnet, which had fallen back from her head, showed her glossy dark hair and drooping ears that hung gracefully beside her cheeks. Poorly as I was dressed, and wet as I still was from my bath, she sat herself beside me, and putting her little soft paw upon my shoulder, said with a smile, "'Ah, Job, for I know that's your name. Did you think you could get off so quietly without anyone seeing you, or stopping you, or saying one single thank you, Job, for being such a good noble dog as you are? Did you think there was not one sharp eye in Caneville to watch the saver, but that all were fixed upon the saved?' that every tongue was so engaged in sympathizing with the mother that not one was left to praise the brave? If you thought this, dear Job, you did me and others wrong, great wrong. There are some dogs, at least, who may forget an injury, but who never forget a noble action, and I have too great a love for my species to let you think so. I shall see you again, dear Job, though I must leave you now. I should be blamed if it were known that I came to talk to you as I have done, but I could not help it. I could not let you believe that a noble heart was not understood in Caneville. Adieu. Do not forget the name of Fida. She stooped down, and for a moment her silky hair waved on my rough cheek, while her soft tongue gently licked my face. Before I could open my mouth in reply, before, indeed, I had recovered from my surprise and the admiration which this beautiful creature caused me, she was gone. I sprang on to my legs to observe which way she went, but not a trace of her could I see, and I thought it would not be proper to follow her. When I felt certain of being alone, I could hardly restrain my feelings. I threw myself on my back, I rolled upon the grass, I turned head over heels in the boisterousness of my spirit, and then gambled around and around like a mad thing. Did I believe all the flattering praises which the lovely Fida had bestowed on me? I might perhaps have done so then, and in my inexperience might have fancied that I was quite a hero. Time has taught me another lesson. It has impressed upon me the truth, that when we do our duty, we do only what should be expected of every dog, only what every dog ought to do. Of the two, Fida had done the nobler action. She had shown not only a promptness to feel what she considered good, but she had had the courage to say so in private to the doer, although he was of the poorest and she of the richest class of Caneville society. In saving the little pup's life, I had risked nothing. I knew my strength and felt certain I could bring him safely to the shore. If I had not tried to save the poor little fellow, I should have been in part guilty of his death. But she, in bestowing secret praise and encouragement upon a poor dog who had no friends to admire her for so doing, while her action would perhaps bring blame upon her from her proud friends, did that which was truly good and noble. The thought of returning to my solitary home after the sad scene of the night before, and particularly after the new feelings just excited, was not a pleasant one. The bright sky and fresh air seemed to suit me better than the black walls and the smell of damp straw. Resolving in my mind, however, to leave it as soon as possible, I recrossed the river and, with a slower step than usual, took the road which led me thither. End of section one.